All right, so I was told by people who sometimes are honest with me, like my wife, that last week I was really jittery on stage. Like I was apparently like all over the stage. I was moving. I was like, I had too much energy and it was distracting to her. But you don't have to worry about that this week because we were at the ETSU game last night till like 11 something. So I'm exhausted because I spent every ounce of energy that I had left last night at that game. Go Bucks. Beat chat. Boom ox. Sorry. So I'll be probably a little bit more low-key this week, maybe. We'll see. I, I tend to get going and I get ranty, so that'll probably still happen, and we can't, we can't really control that. If you want to go ahead and start turning to Matthew chapter 26 and 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I told you last week that we are going to start, uh, that we're going to talk about communion this week because over the last month, month and a half, we as the elders have really been studying communion, specifically so that we can best practice it in our church, best instruct you on how we want to serve communion and what communion is meant to look like. Now, you, you might be thinking if you were here this spring, wait, you just preached a sermon on communion during our What We Believe series like six months ago. Is this going to be the exact same sermon? No, it will not be the exact same sermon. And let me, I just want to kind of differentiate um, what it is that we talked about then and what we're going to be talking about this morning because this is, um, this is important. Um, when we were talking about the, what we believe, we were talking about what we believe about the idea of communion. What is communion? What takes place when we take communion? Do we believe that the bread literally becomes the body of Christ as we eat it? And we said, no, it's bread. It's representative of something. Right? All of those things are still true. We haven't, we haven't been shaken to our core and have a new belief uh, about communion and what it is and what it represents. But... Over the last month, month and a half, we've been really trying to dive into Scripture to make sure that we are practicing communion in the right way and serving communion in the right way. And, and, and here's the part that we really got hung up on. I'm going to be perfectly honest. Serving communion to the people that we're supposed to serve communion to. That's really the question that we've been trying to answer for the last month, month and a half. Who are we as, as the church supposed to serve communion to? And are, are there any people that we should, we should refuse to serve communion to? So right now, go ahead, and start, go ahead and start worrying in the back of your mind. Is he going to tell me that I can't take communion? Is he going to tell me that I can't take communion? And I'm going to leave you in that thought just because I think you'll be more attentive that way. Does that sound good? So let's just, let's just read again what, what Jesus said when he first enacted communion, right? So we're in Matthew chapter 26. I'm going to read verses 26 through 29. Uh, you, if you've been in church most of your life, you will have heard these verses before, and I guarantee you this will not be the last time you hear them today. Um, so in verse 26, it says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat. This is my body. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it with... Sorry, I can't read. Until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You can edit that part out of the sermon when you post it so that I sound more intelligent, Caleb. The stumble on the reading. 
you can clean that up. So, so here's the thing. We talked about communion in the past, and when we were talking about it, we were trying to say, what does it mean when we take it? What's the point of taking it? Why is taking communion so important? And I think these are the kinds of verses that we go to where we try to see, yes, it's, it's important that it is representing what Christ was about to go through. It was, it was important that we remember that, that now we who are thousands of years separated from the events that, that Jesus was just about to experience still have a means that we can, we can practice so that we can remember what it is that Christ did. Because we didn't see it with our eyes. We weren't there to experience it. And so, and so taking, taking a simple act like, like tearing a piece of bread and remembering what it looked like for Christ's body to be broken and to, and to, take, and to take a cup of juice and to drink that and say, this is a representative of the blood that he spilled on our behalf, that blood that we were just singing about. Like, like, good song choice, Nick. It's like I told you we were going to talk about communion today. So our discussion hasn't been about what communion is. We've been 100% locked in on that from the very beginning of CRC. Ever since we planned, like, like we haven't wavered on what it represents or why we should be taking it. Uh, I talked last week about how, about how if you grew up in, like, the Baptist tradition, the Baptist Church practices the two ordinances of baptism and communion, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and how um, the Catholic Church has seven sacraments and they represent different things. And they, they, they treat them a little bit more in a salvation requirement way, right? Like you have to be taking this, you have to be practicing this, these are the things that you have to do to be saved. We're not, we're not changing on any of that. It's not a part of salvation. The crux of our discussion is that we struggle we, because we don't know everybody's hearts. That's not a surprise. We can't, know, we can't know what's in your heart right now. I can't know what you are thinking right now. I can't know whether or not, I, I can't personally look into your heart and say that person is saved or that person is not. Right? That is, that is just not something, like, like we're, given, we're given methods where we give in Scripture where we can see evidence. Like, you can see evidence and I can be like, oh, I think that person's saved because I see this fruit and this fruit and this fruit and this thing that they do and this way that they love people and this thing that they say. Or I can tell that person is absolutely not saved based on the way that they're living or based on the things that they say or based on the way that they treat other people or something along those lines. Right? We, we, have, some, we have some ways that we can kind of gauge that, but, but I, don't, I, don't, I don't know who's saved and I also know that just based on the context of where we are as a church, that we might have people coming in to our church, and this might have been you the first time you came here, who may or may not have ever experienced church, may or may not have ever heard the gospel, and they may see a bunch of people standing up and getting in a line and pulling off a piece of bread and eating it. And they have no idea what it is, but everybody else is doing it, so I should go too. And that's a struggle for us because, because and, and we're going to read a, a verse in 1 Corinthians here in just a second that's going to, that's going to kind of show you why we were so struggling with this. Because, because Scripture teaches us that we're not all supposed to take communion. Communion is for the repentant. Communion is for the saved people. Communion is for the church. Communion is something that Christ left for his church in his absence as a means of remembering him. So if you have your place in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, go ahead and look there now. You have a second because I don't have it pulled up here yet. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm going to read verses 23 through 32. And this is the section that when we read it, this is what, this is what left us hung up about how do we handle this? How do we deal with this? How do we move forward as a church um, with these verses? So... 
1 Corinthians chapter 11, I'm going to pick up in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup and after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That's just what we just read. That's just, that's just Jesus enacting it. That's just Jesus bringing it back. He's just reminding us, this is what Jesus said when he, when he began the Lord's Supper, when he started the Lord's Supper, when he, when he gave that to us. So now, here's, here's where Paul's going to start offering some specific teaching on how to rightly apply the Lord's Supper. Verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So there are standards and restrictions for who should and should not be taking communion. That's, that's kind of what we're reading when we, when we read this in, in 1 Corinthians 11. That's the thing that we saw. It's like, man, there are some people that really shouldn't be taking communion. And what are we, this is the question that we had to ask ourselves, what are we as elders, what is our role in, in knowing that, how do we best teach and practice communion to a community of people who have lots of experience and understanding with what communion is and may have literally walked into a church for the first time in their life and have no idea what's going on. And we don't want them to be drinking judgment on themselves, right? We don't want that for them. Because like I said, communion is for the repentant. Communion is for the saved. Communion is for the church. Communion is for those people not living in unrepentant sin. That's, that's the big idea. If you are living in unrepentant sin, then you shouldn't be taking communion or you're just drinking judgment yourself. When I taught communion what, six months ago, one of the things I said was, if you walk up and, and you're participating in the action that reminds us of Christ's death on the cross, the thing that he died to save us, but you are unsaved, that very act is also the act that condemns you for eternity. Right? That's, that's, that's you basically saying, I'm remembering this thing that means I'm not in and I'm going to die apart from him forever and always. That's kind of what he's saying there. We don't want people to be taking communion in an unworthy manner. We as elders want to guard the souls of those who are attending CRC. Caleb talked a lot about shepherding as part of our primary role when he talked about what elders are and what elders do a few weeks ago. And more specifically, we want to shepherd the souls of our flock, which means that we have to know who our flock are. We have to know who our people are that we're guarding. We do that through membership, through church membership. So I don't want, and, and, and I don't want this whole sermon to get off 
on a whole tangent about the importance of church membership. There might come up more questions, and, and throughout this sermon, I know I'm not going to answer every question that you may have that pops up about communion. Well, what about this? And what about in this instance? And what about this situation? I'm not going to answer every single specific thing. So if you have some of those questions, feel free to come ask us over the next couple of weeks or ask your, and your community group. I think this will be a great community group discussion uh, for you throughout the week. But here's the thing. We are commanded as believers to be joined together with the body of Christ, right? Hebrews says, don't neglect to meet together has become the habit of some, right? We're, we're told, be a part of the local church. Local church membership is important. Submission to the authority of a local church, a local body of believers, a local set of elders, is vital to our obedience, is vital to our Christian walk. Membership is the way that the church kind of publicly affirms that we believe somebody to be saved. If you're going to join our church, we're going to ask you to tell us about your testimony. We're going to find out who you are, and we're going to, we're going to examine your life and try to understand whether or not we believe you to be saved, because, because we're not going to say you're a member of the church if we don't believe you to be saved. We're going to, we're going to vet you. I don't, know, I don't know if everybody has gone through, not, I know not everybody in here is a member, uh, so you haven't all ex- necessarily experienced this, but we, but we want to know you before we say that you're one of us. And let me just say this before I get too far in, because I started with this. Before I, before I make it sound too required for salvation, communion, baptism, church membership, those aren't things that save you. Those aren't things that save you. You can be saved before having been baptized. You can, you can be saved before having taken communion. You can be saved before having joined a church. However, once you have been saved, we've been commanded by God to join the church, be baptized, and take communion and remember what it is that he's done for us. So if you're going to live in unrepentant sin, if you're, if, wait, if you're not going to live in unrepentant sin, let me say that right, if you're not living in unrepentant sin, then that means you will get baptized. You'll be taking communion rightly. You will you'll be joining the church. And these are the things that we've been talking through is, is how do we best practice communion as a church and protect people from taking communion in an unworthy manner? Because, because like we said, we're, we're shepherds. We're guarding people's souls, but not everybody's part of our flock because they're not all saved. They're not all members. But then we also have scripture that tells us, you know, don't put yourself in a situation that's going to cause somebody else to sin. So, so how do we balance this? Because we, we want to treat the Lord's Supper, we want to treat communion with the kind of reverence that we believe it deserves. It's one of the two things that Christ left for us to practice as the church, that, that he went through as ways to remember who it is that he was and what it is that he did for us. He left us baptism. He left us communion. Those are like the two big things. We want to make sure we're getting these things right as the church. So again, not wanting to go too far off on, on church membership and baptism, but I think it needs to be said. We at CRC believe that obedience to Scripture requires active membership in the church. Knowing also that we believe that, we're sa- that when we're saved, we're added to the church through baptism as well. So, 
So church membership and baptism are important acts of obedience. We get this from the Great Commission, the thing that he left for us. Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, which includes communion. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Right? So why are we making such a big, big deal about baptism and church membership and these sorts of things in a sermon about communion. Why, why are we getting into this? Because, because we believe that to not be living in unrepentant sin, we can't be resistant to the specific commands that God has given us. That includes baptism, and that includes church membership. I say again, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. You don't have to be a member of the church to be saved. But if you're saved, if you're proclaiming Christ, then I say, well, then let's go get baptized. And you say, I don't want to do that. That's, that's resisting a command of God. That is sin. If you say, you need to be joined to the church in, in, in church membership, you need, to, you need to be submitted to the authority of the elders, you say, I don't want to do that. I can do this on my own. I can be a Christian, and I can just kind of watch sermons online. Or I can be a Christian, and I can just kind of be nice to people. Or I can be kind to people. I can be a Christian, I can just study the Bible by myself. I don't need the community. I don't need the church. I don't need to join anything. I don't need to submit to the authority of elders in the church. That's sin, because that's not what we're commanded to do. We're commanded to gather together. We're commanded. We're, the, the, very spe- the first specific picture we get of the church after Christ left them is they're all huddled together in a room praying. Then they get the Holy Spirit. And Peter preaches a great sermon. And then what's the next thing we see them doing? They're all together, having all things in common, praying together, sharing things. These are the pictures of the church that we get. A church that's tied together, that's knit together like family. Like, like we say the word family so much. We say the words like, we're going to treat you like you're our brother or our sister or our kid, whatever it may be. Like, we're going to treat you that way because we think that that's what Scripture commands. It's not just because we think it's a fun idea or we like hanging out with you guys. We do like hanging out with you guys. But... But it's not about, it's not just because it feels good. It's because that's the way that God set this whole thing up. It's the way that he established the church, and these are the things that he called us to do. Um, So, why am I setting up all this stuff about church membership and baptism and a sermon about communion? Because there are kind of two practices for how you serve communion in the church. Um, They're called open communion and closed communion. Open communion being... You come in, we don't care if you're a member of our church or not. If you're saved, come, come take communion. And then closed communion saying, we only let people who are members of this local expression of the church come and take communion. And, and, and starting with that question, what is open and closed communion and what are we, where do we fall on that, is speci- that, that is the most specific piece of our discussion over the last month and a half as elders. How do we practice this? Because, because here's the thing. It all, it, all, it all starts from a heart of we don't want to be setting people up to sin. We don't want to be offering communion to people who should not be taking it because they would be taking it in an unworthy manner. We want to protect those who come into this place who have no idea what's going on or aren't saved or whatever it might be. We want to protect those from coming and putting themselves in a position where they're drinking judgment on themselves. That is a strong set of words, drinking judgment on themselves. 
And so we, we talked about this and we prayed about this over the course of several weeks and, and, and long conversations. Um, and we went back and forth and back and forth on how are we supposed to do this. And so you're sitting here saying, is he saying that we're going to start practicing closed communion? Are we going to start doing Because we've been open communion the whole time. What is he saying? And honestly, we're going to kind of be somewhere in between. We're going to be somewhere in between. We think, we've, we think we've found the sweet spot right in the middle where we get to practice communion in as right a way as we can without withholding communion from people who, who should be able to come and take communion. Because then you have these questions of, well, if you practice close communion, what if, what, if, what if this famous pastor who everybody believes to be saved wants to come in and ask to take communion? Are you going to tell him no? Well, if you're practicing close communion, if you're honest, you'd be like, yeah, he can't take communion here. And there are several churches that we looked at kind of their model, and that's how they would practice it. And they would say, we would ask you not to take communion. So we had all these issues. And where we ended up is, and I don't have a name for it, so we're going to call it Dora Jar Communion. Does that sound good? I just came up with that just this moment. Door ajar communion. Like, do you know what, do you not know what that means? Like when a door is slightly ajar? There it is. Light bulb. Cool. I don't know. Maybe we'll call it that. I doubt it because... My ideas are usually kind of ridiculous. But, so we're practicing closed communion. Not really, but sort of. Here's the thing. From now on, we want to serve communion to people who are not living in unrepentant sin. That is the standard. That is the standard. We don't want to, we don't want to, we will no longer be serving communion at CRC to people that we know to be living in unrepentant sin. How am I going to know if you're living in unrepentant sin? Well, here's, here's the thing. That's why I kind of started with baptism and church membership. One of those ways that you could be living in unrepentant sin is if you're resisting baptism after declaring that you believe in Jesus, or you're resisting to join the church, or haven't joined the church, or have just been kind of blasé about it, don't think it's super vital. Now, when I say member of the church, I'm saying member of the church, Big C Church. By Big C Church, I mean the global church. We're not saying you have to be members of Christ Reconciled Church to take communion here. But if you're going to take communion here, we want, to know, we want you to be an active member of a local body of Christ. Does that make sense? Do I need to say that? I'm going to say that one more time. We want you to be an active member of a local body of Christ. We're not saying it has to be here. If you're not a currently a member of a local body of Christ, we would love for it to be here. We would love for you to join. And maybe, maybe you're sitting here saying, I've been coming, but I'm not a member. Now I can't take communion here anymore. Well, maybe let that motivate you to join the church. Maybe let that motivate you to say, I got to commit. I got to be in. Maybe it's, I've been coming here, I'm a member of the church over here, but, but I've been coming here and I'm active here. Does that count? Well, you're not really an active member of that local church, and you're not really a member of this church, even though you're active, so we've got to figure something out. If you're going to be here, you need to be here. If you're going to be a member there, you need to go be active there, wherever that is. Like, like this isn't like a turf war where we're trying to say, you need to leave your church and come here. I mean, some people probably do. Just perfectly honest. We're pretty small. Some people need to leave their church and come here. But we want to do this out of, 
respect for what communion is and, and as an act of love to those who, if they were to come up and take communion, would be taking communion in an unworthy manner, drinking judgment on themselves. We want to protect people from that. So we're not putting out a checklist of what it means to be an active member of a church. It's not going to be, here, fill out this, this communion request form as you line up to come get your bread. And then we're going to read it, and we're going to vet it, and then we're going to go get it notarized and say this person is able to come and take communion at CRC. That is not what we're saying. Because if you look back in 1 Corinthians, what does he say? Examine yourself. So like I said, I can't know your heart. But I can know if you're here all the time, but you're not a member, I know you're not an active member of a local church. And we've talked about the importance of church membership before. So if you're resisting that, you're still resisting that command of God. I know if you've been here and you've told me you haven't been baptized and we've said you should get baptized and you haven't, you're still resisting that. And now this may seem super exclusive or like we're trying to push people out, but we're really trying to show people the importance of these, these commands that we're meant to follow, the importance of obedience, the importance of, of doing the things that Scripture has called us to do. So, so that may mean that some of you who've participated in communion in the past won't be able to participate in communion right now. And if that's you, that means you need to join. Let's go. Talk to us. Let's get you in here. You probably already know all you need to know about us that you might join the church. It probably won't be a hard thing for us to, to kind of start walking through learning your, hearing your testimony and talking you through what this, all, what this all means. So we want this to be not, not discouraging, like, oh, they're not going to let me come take communion this week. Let this be encouraging to you. Oh, they're not because they love me and they want me to be doing the right thing. They want me to be obedient. They want me to be following the commands that God has laid out for me. Because that's our goal. We want, to be, we want to be teaching and serving communion in as close a way, as, as, as right a way, as, as accurate a way as Jesus would desire that we teach and demonstrate and practice communion. That's it. That's the bottom line. So a couple other things, and this is a little bit more just logistics. We're also going to kind of change, while, while we're talking about changing the way we serve communion, um, you'll notice that we haven't served communion for almost a month now. And you might be like, but we've always served communion every week. We're going to change the frequency that we serve communion. Um, I, I think it's perfectly right to serve communion weekly. I read a lot of articles this week about some people saying, here's why you should serve communion every week. And I don't think it's wrong to serve communion every week, and I think... We might at some point in the future go back to serving communion every week. But, but there's this temptation when you do the same thing every week for it to kind of lose its impact, for it to become a little bit routine. And I think just the fact that we haven't had communion for the last month has made us all think about, we aren't having communion. This feels weird. So that in, in like 15 minutes when we take communion, it's going to be a little bit more important. It's going to be something that you realize, this really does carry some weight. This is an important thing to me. Um, so we're going, to, we're going to kind of spread it out. We're still going to have, it, have communion pretty frequently. It's not going to be like our once every six month kind of thing. We're going to take communion pretty often still. But, but we just wanted to kind of back off so that, so that when, we, when we take communion together, we can really 
invest some time and attention and focus and, and really set aside a large portion of, of our, our focus on that so that we're giving it all of this. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Respect. Uh, I don't know. I lost the word. I had a good word. Reverence. That's the, good job, Ben. The reverence that, that, that it so, so deserves. Um, so in just a few minutes, I'm going to pray. And then Nick's going to come up. We're going to sing a song. And then I'm going to come back up and I'm going to talk about communion again. You can be like, again? Yes, again. I'm going to come up. We're going to get two sermons for the price of one this morning. It's not even going to be another, it's, but, it, but we're going to change the way we practice it. I'm going to come up here and we're going to explain communion all over again, just like we will moving forward. Because I think part of our, part of our as elders struggle has been, we haven't done a good job of explaining communion every time that we've taken it. We haven't done a good job of setting up, you know, what does it look like to take communion rightly and who should and shouldn't be taking communion. And that, that's on us. And we kind of got, we kind of got reminded of that as we kind of started diving into this subject and looking at it. So I'm going to come back up, I'm going to explain it again, and then we're going to kind of take communion together, and uh, I'll talk about what that's going to look like here in just a few minutes. But, but, but again, bottom line, these aren't the things that save us. Jesus, the, the, the thing that we're remembering through communion, the thing that we're remembering through baptism, those are the things that we're, the things that we're remembering are the things that save us. Jesus' death, his burial, his resurrection, his great love for us in that way. Those are the things that have saved us. And now we're just left to be obedient to him. So let's pray.